What's going on? UFC Vegas 51 recap. It's officially in the books. And man, a night of a bunch of fouls. My God. Thank God no disqualifications because generally more often than not, our guys were committing the fouls on those. So a night where I think we went eight and five overall. So uh, not too savory. Doesn't look good in that respect. But a lot of the core guys all came through. They did what they had to do. Thankfully did not get disqualified. And in the end, set up that headed opportunity. A headed opportunity I probably would not have taken. You know, team let it ride. Why not? But I learned that lesson again on uh, Friday night with AJ McKee in the Bellator main event. Like, again, such an easy hedge out spot. Talk about it on the Bellator show. Just take that easy hedge out. Big plus money on Patricio. So I didn't want to let it ride two nights in a row and risk having a, a colossal bad a bad time. So anyways, uh, good enough. The core all came through again. It set up an easy hedge out opportunity. Glad I took it. But starting off the bottom because things were promising to start the night. Haile Alatang versus Kevin Kroom. Haile Alatang ends up being on the third line. So we got some little bit of confidence in here. But man, he performed like he should have been a top ticket guy for sure. Uh, I thought, like probably most other people, the key would probably be his wrestling, right? Use the wrestling. You've seen it in past fights. He's able to get the fight to the ground. Strong, physical guy. Uh, good enough experience. Kevin Kroom is good with his grappling. Good with jiu-jitsu. But just ground this guy and beat him up the same way Brian Kelleher did. But uh, Alatang's been training at Fight Ready MMA in, over in Arizona. They had a good game plan. He whiffed on a couple right hands early, like he was trying to find his gauge, trying to find his distance. And as soon as he stepped in on Kevin Kroom, he unloaded. Like The one thing with Kroom is he's a tall guy for the division. He's a bit lanky, and he does have some type of volume, some type of output. But his striking is not all that good. The thing is, it's frustrating, and it's tricky early because he's tall, and he's awkward. And it's like you're, you're throwing, but you're missing. He's just not there. As soon as he closes the distance on him, clubs on right hand, uppercut. Beautiful finishing sequence. You know, 47 seconds into the first round, Haile Alatang makes it look extremely easy. You did like him. Didn't see a whole lot of passive victory for Kevin Kroom. And yet, yeah, why not use a guy like this higher up? But coulda, shoulda, woulda. Gotta move on. Sam Hughes versus Estella Nunes. This is a hilarious fight. So I, I think I, I want to pat my back on the fact that I, I took Estella Nunes. Don't want to pat my back on that. But I had her down on the fifth line. She was way down there with Trey Ogden in the kind of fight that could go the other way. Going to be close. Going to be greasy. Don't want a whole lot of, of uh, investment in it. So, yeah, on one hand, I kind of whiffed it out a little bit. But on the other hand, I still ended up picking her just because superior striking. Here's a problem when you look at a women's MMA matchup in particular. You want one of two things, if not both things, and it's easy money. It's never easy money in the women's MMA. But what I'm getting at is you either want a cardio advantage or you want a wrestling advantage. If you have neither of those two things, you have a striking advantage, and it's going to be a striking battle. But you don't have the cardio. You're going to be in a 15-minute striking battle with you fading. The longer it goes, you don't have the wrestling edge. It's going to get greasy. It's going to get dicey. It's going to be problematic. Sam Hughes did present that i just didn't fully have the faith and to be honest i knew estella nunez would likely tire because she did in her debut for the ufc oh bite that was her first fight in three years and i thought her cardio would be a little bit better this time good enough to just win two rounds just win two rounds then you can fade out in the third round you're not likely going to get finished by sam hughes so just win the first two rounds and in the first round she looks awesome very dynamic very quick moves laterally the problem is, is that everything she does is full on power full power full explosiveness closing the distance, going hard, throwing in combination. And Sam Hughes is getting busted up. She's got like a cut over the bridge of her nose. She's clearly getting frustrated. She's clearly getting outworked, but she's game. She's just moving forward. It's one of these things where if she can mentally keep with it, 
maybe there's a chance. And her coaches don't mind it. They give her excellent advice coming into the second, which is just keep working. And they're yelling the whole time. It's in the apex. You can hear everything. Her coaches are after him that entire second round. Sam, just keep going forward. Sam, just put the pressure on her. And Nunes is having a little bit of success, but now she's getting now she's not moving quite as well. Now her strikes don't have that same zip on it. And now finally Sam Hughes is closing up the distance, finding her range, finding her timing, and starting to touch her up a little bit. I got this round, slight advantage of Stella Nunes. No, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, okay. I got a slight advantage uh, Stella Nunes. And then at that 18-second mark, Sam Hughes hits that takedown. It, it was such a slight advantage that that takedown likely nullifies things. But then with the last 18 seconds, she goes to work, lands a bunch of ground and pound. Sam Hughes 100% takes that second round because of that work she puts in. So now you got a 1-1 going into the third. It's crazy because the, the line is like minus 220 to start, okay? After the first round, they show up to live betting odds, and it's minus 1,000 for Nunez, okay? Now she's just tired, and she's just lost the second round. She just got taken down, which is something that wasn't happening. There's now a clear avenue for Sam Hughes. He's likely going to look to exploit in the third round, and she's a minus 350 still Nunez coming into the third. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. But that's why the live betting market is better than parlays. You get to download information, see it in real time. The wake-up doesn't matter anymore, right? All your pre-fight study doesn't matter anymore. What you're seeing in live action is happening. That's real. You can form a much better basis. Minus 350 Nunes, just crazy. Anyways, Nunes seems to catch maybe a bit of a second win. Like, she starts the third round okay. But eventually, Sam Hughes just closes the branch, gets the takedown. And once she got the takedown, Nunes got nothing off her back, right? Not able to throw up anything, not be able to get back up. And uh, Sam Hughes grounds her. Yeah, so 29-28. I completely agree with it. Oh, sorry. It's early in the first round, but you got a, a slight eye poke from Estella Nunes, right? In the second round, when Sam Hughes shoots and gets that takedown, there's a cage grab, right? She grabs a cage. Now in the third round, there's another eye poke by Estella Nunes. So she loses a point. So this thing's really Sam Hughes's fight at this point. And uh, I can't say I disagree with it. So on one hand, you know, five, six, seven, well, five, six and the PRP are all dead in the water. On the other hand, yeah, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I, I get it. I understood. Could have Estella Nunes won that fight? Yeah, absolutely. She needed better cardio, maybe a slightly better game plan, you know, not go so hard in the first round. But this was Sam Hughes' rightful victory. And as far as the eye poke goes, yeah, would I take a point off a second eye poke? Yeah, I mean, normally they don't, but there was a cage grab in there as well. Three fouls on a night that just had so many fouls. So. Anyways, second fight on the card. What can you do? One and one, moving forward. Just Jordan Leavitt versus Trey Ogden. Uh, the reason why we end up going Trey Ogden here, again, not a whole lot of faith. He's on that fifth ticket, which is dead. Now, anyways, but the reason why we end up going with Trey Ogden is, you know what, James Krause are going to have a good game plan. That game plan would be use your superior wrestling to keep the fight standing and box Jordan Lovett up. If Jordan Lovett's striking is not very good, he just throws out a whole bunch of rinky-dink kicks. You step through, you punch this guy. Those are going to be the more meaningful, impactful shots. As far as Jordan Lovett's grappling goes, pretty good. But his wrestling's just not there. How's the fight going to possibly hit the ground? So how's the fight going to possibly hit the ground, right? I'll tell you how. First round, Trey Ogden's doing a good job. Right? Backing him up, starting to find a home for the right hand. He's also punching straight down, not necessarily to the face uh, or to the head because Trey, um, Jordan Lovett's very elusive, right? So he's punching straight to the body. The chest is there. The chest is an easy target. Then you're going to find your range. Then when you want to throw some combinations, maybe throw a left hook behind it, you've, you've now found the range. The body's there. The head's going to be right behind it. Uh, he's doing a good job of slightly outlanding Levitt. And then he gets a little overzealous, throws a high kick, slips on it. And Jordan Lovett just, that ah, okay, sweet, gets right on top. So 
this is not good. You're two and a half minutes into the round. Trey Ogden was winning the striking. I got him winning the round until he's now just slipped. There's no takedown. He's now just slipped off a high kick in Levitt's writing guard. But Levitt does nothing from guard. He doesn't pass. At no point does he pass guard. At no point does he land anything significant in terms of damage or ground and pound, nothing like that. No submission attempt. Nothing really. It just kind of pins him down. And there was no takedown to boot. So what has he really done? His opponent slipped. He got on top of him. Didn't do anything. And then Ogden snatches up a guillotine choke. Guillotine choke doesn't look great at first, but then as soon as Levitt gives up top position, you know he's trying to alleviate some pressure. He's in some bad a bad spot. I don't know if he thought he could have finished it from the top side, but he maybe should have just relinquished it and taken that mount for the last 20 seconds, just pounded him a little bit to make sure you secure the, the round for sure. But slightly I was before he slipped to the ground. Nothing happened when he was on the ground. Guillotine choke at the end, in which he got mount briefly, got to be a Trey Ogden first round. Second round, Ogden's probably landing the better shots, but this is why volume is so key. Like, unless you're a murderous power puncher and you've got the power to just knock the guy out, well, slightly outlanding some more meaningful shots is not enough if you're just going to get out work. That's all Livet did. It didn't look like much watching it live because it was just a bunch of kicks, a bunch of sequences of kicks. It, like range finders, right? Range finders. Now, when you throw out a jab, a lot of the time it's a range finder, right? But you, you might just throw it at air, throw it at air, you're pawing it, you're pawing it. None, none of that's connecting, and none of that you're really committing to. The thing with the kick is you can just you can just float it out and still connect with something, and that's kind of what he's doing. And so the second round's close, and a lot of people score the second round for Trey Ogden. But shit, a fight's not based on the numbers, but when you look at the numbers, Ogden gets outstruck 46 to 16 <laughs> in the second round. And it's all kicks from Jordan Lovett. So that's a difficult fight to score or a difficult round to score. I'm inclined to say Jordan Lovett won the second round just from work rate. It wasn't pretty, but the thing is about MMA is it's a bit of a flawed system. You know, you can just get take like Aljamain Sterling fight. You can just get takedown, get a back take and ride out the round. And that's it. The other guy comes on hard and he's landing strikes in the fourth round. He's landing strikes in the fifth round. He's trying to finish. He's has these big moments. He has these spots. He has a guy wobbled and yet you still lose the fight because you lost parts of time of rounds on control, right? There's a 10-8 round on the large basis of control. That's That stuff is what scores rounds, and Levitt, by the basis, won the second round. Anyways, goes into the third round. August still in it. Doesn't look like he's particularly fatigued. Uh, Jordan Levitt's got excellent cardio. He's not, not even broken a sweat at this point. He's just going to have to rely on this kick game plan, and maybe Ogden can find a way. Plus, like I said, I checked out a couple of the live scoring uh Everybody from Sherdog, I think it was a straight up, all three of them have the second round for Ogden. They got it uh, two, two nothing, Trey Ogden. Maybe he doesn't need this third round. Maybe Levitt's got to really do something more than just throw out some range-finding kicks. But again, this is where the fight will just hit the ground on the basis of no takedown sometimes. Like, it's Trey Ogden who's just tired of getting kicked and shoots a sloppy-ass takedown, and Levitt just sprawls out on it and uses the momentum to end up on top, and once he's on top, it's the same thing, right? He's just able to ground him, hold him down. Does a better job, obviously, in the third round, secures it, definitely wins it. My books, it's a 29-28. Uh, did Ogden have spots this? chances to win yeah and on some people's scorecards did he win and is that fair yeah fair enough just really how depends how you score that second round and i can't really uh i can't really fault you either way so the ticket was burnt up anyways but you got to move on martin budai versus chris barnett so we're a lot higher on budai he ends up being on our second ticket now middling heavyweights you never want a whole lot of uh 
not a whole lot of faith on middling heavyweights for sure. I, I, I totally get that. But Chris, Chris Barnett, yeah, he ends up being our second ticket, third most confident guy. Against Chris Barnett, I, I just, he's five foot nine and fights up at heavyweight. It has to be a disadvantage. It's had to be a disadvantage his entire career. There's a reason why people who are five foot nine don't fight at heavyweights. Name me one good heavyweight that was that short, right? Cormier is a bit of an exception to the rule, and I think he's 5'11", and because he, he's got some awesome awesome wrestling base, he was able to transition up to heavyweight, be a bit of a smaller heavyweight, but still have success. But with a Chris Barnett, like as athletic as he is and as good at range as he is, like it's, it's always going to be a problem, and Budai is just a big, strong guy. Also, people like entertainment. They love entertainment. They want people who are going to stand in the center of the octagon and exchange combinations and throw down and bite on their mouthpiece and the submissions and screw top position, just go for some crazy scramble and go for some arm bar and give it up. Like People like entertainment. I get that. When you're betting, you like the style of a Martin Budai. Mind you, he almost gets disqualified. But you prefer that style of just push the guy up against the cage and grind on him. It's not the prettiest thing on TV, but it's so unbelievably effective. If you can, that's his weapon. Uh, he can do this to most guys because he has the size advantage and is, quite frankly, not that bad. Cardio checks out. Pace was pretty good. Lands some heavy shots. Striking is not even all that terrible, but where he shines is up in the clinch, up against the cage. Not taking the guy down. Press him up against the cage. And with Barnett being so small, it was always going to be on the table. So Barnett comes up first round. He's throwing heavies, overhand rights, you know, throw, throwing caution to the wind, landing absolutely nothing. And you got Budai pressing up against the cage, winning an easy first round. Barnett tells his corner after the first round, I'm having trouble finding my range. I can't find the range. Like, no shit, man. You're no shit. Have you? <laughs> This has to have been expected, right? Like, in all of your fights, you're giving up so much size that, uh, I don't know. This was like an expected thing. If you can't find your range here, what can you do? Get your back up against the cage? Not going to happen. Second round, much of the same. Budai's putting a pace on him. But Budai's doing an excellent job of working the body. He landed something like 40 shots to the body, which is abnormal, especially at heavyweight. A lot of it's knees to the body, big crushing, debilitating knees. He's working the shoe shine combination, lefts, rights, working both sides. He really beat Barnett up to the body. And maybe it's because of that size discrepancy. It was easy for him to just what would normally be a low blow on a regular guy is a shot straight to the fucking solar plex on this guy. Yeah, maybe it's a lot more effective. Who knows? But he beats him up, wears him out. And then you have here Barnett tells corner after the second round, I broke a rib. Now, how would you know you broke a rib? I'm not sure. He's obviously in a whole lot of pain. He obviously feels it. But like to my knowledge, and I've seen people break ribs, uh, like puncture along man they're like crippled over like you gotta like stretch them off the field like i don't know barnett's one tops dude because he comes out for the third round and even though he's getting mauled again he's fighting to the best of his abilities but then he gets hurt to the body he folds up a referee probably should just stop the fight anyways because at this point he's lost the first round he's lost the second round he's losing the third round they probably don't know that he's told his corner that there is an injury so they're not privy to that information won't fault them for doing something about that but the guy's getting his ass kicked he just got hurt to the body again he just folds over he's eating some follow-up ground and pound just wave mercy on this thing what the hell's going on and then Budai lands an illegal elbow that the ref doesn't really say nothing about. Maybe he does, but he, at least he lets him get away with it. Illegal for two reasons. One, it's like on the neck, kind of borderline back of the head area. <clears throat> so why are you throwing it there anyways? And then the other thing is the way he's throwing it is almost like tip down, which should be a legal technique, sure, but is not a legal technique. So he's kind of it's kind of a dirty elbow either way, but he gets away with it, and then he throws another one. The, the second 
when Barnett yelps out in pain. And then, I don't know, everyone's calling it the Aljamain Sterling. I guess that's the name for it now. But you have to realize he got his ass kicked in the first round. He got his ass kicked and perhaps broke a rib in the second round. He's now getting his ass kicked pretty bad in the third round. And just got a glimmer of opportunity here where the dude lands an illegal elbow and he's got a way out. So you're goddamn right he's going to take it. Maybe he was hoping for a DQ. doesn't go down that way because they rule it as an unintentional elbow. Unintentional in what regard? Because he definitely meant to throw it, right? He definitely meant to throw the elbow. And he definitely meant to throw it exactly the way he threw it because he had just done one, like literally quite literally one moment earlier. And because he had already struck struck at that target, it was pretty intentional that he was trying to strike that target again. So, like, everything about it is an intentional blow. And if that unintentional or that intentional blow is the reason why Barnett can no longer continue in this fight, then it actually is a disqualification. But I think Mergliata, I think everyone there in the commission, you, there's more of a realization that Barnett's getting his ass kicked and probably just wants a way out here. And whereas you did mean to throw it and you did go there, there has to be something said about turtling up, okay? And that's what Barnett's doing. He's exposing his neck. He's exposing the back of his head because he's turtling. So in a sequence of punches, if you're turtling up and giving up your back, well, they're going to call it, right? They're going to call it. You gave up your back. It's the same way, and I see it all the time. Two dudes are striking. They're standing face-to-face. They're exchanging, right? And then one of them will complain like, yo, man, you punched me in the back of the head. How did I punch you in the back of the head if I am standing directly in front of you? Because it's like, well, your hook kind of wrapped around and I stepped in or I bobbed and it kind of clipped me. Yeah, well, that, whose fault's that? Certainly not mine. I just threw my punch. I'm standing directly in front of you. I punched you in the back of the head. Give me sh- Okay, so Barnett kind of turtles up a bit. The commission knows what's up. It's not even remotely a close fight at this point. So they just decide, let's deduct a point and then go to the scorecards where the rightful winner, Budai, is going to win anyways. And he does. So the ticket lives on. The ticket lives on. Bad decision-making by by Budai, and hopefully that's not something we have to worry about if we bet him in the future. But otherwise, it's like this is the kind of guy I want to back against mid-level competition, low-level competition. He shines. High-level, I don't know. But he's still young enough, and he hasn't fought at a high level. So the more he gets rounds in and the more he fights better guys, he could improve. He could be a decent enough guy going forward. And for Chris Barnett, right off in the sense of like competitive, but he was never meant to be competitive. He was a freak show fighter. He used to fight at 300 pounds in Japan. Duke can do a spinning wheel kick. Duke can do a you know a standing backflip at 300 pounds. Crazy. Is a finishing sequence. They call him Huggy Bear. He does a dance. He's a likable character. Why? Why would you match him up against a guy like Budai who's just gonna smother him? Smother him up against the cage. That's what he does in all of his fights. That's why you signed him from the contender series. He's a smotherer. He's a big guy. And Barnett, when the fight was standing and at distance, didn't look half bad. You know, he's missing a lot of shots, but he's throwing. In the second round, he started to find a little bit of a pace. But anytime he found any type of rhythm or groove, he just got pressed up against the cage. So there was nothing he could do about it. <clears throat> you know, thumbs to breaks, tough luck for him. But I think matchmaking let him down here. Like, he's not a contender. We get that. Don't make him fight these rising up-and-coming guys. Let him fight old guys. Let him fight strikers. Let him fight guys that are going to uh, put on a show for the fans. That's what he's here for. And this wasn't the kind of fight where he was going to be able to show off that skill set. So he showed off some toughness, but that was about it. Hafa Garcia versus Jesse Ronson. Uh, initially tweeted the plays, and I don't even have Jesse Ronson on it. I don't think my book offered it at the time. So that saved me in the regard that I just had a bunch of tickets that didn't have Ronson on it. And then like half hour before showtime, 
because I was just really busy. I'm sorry I wasn't active on Twitter maybe the last couple of weeks. Just got like a lot of shit going on. Um, some good shit, some bad shit. You know, mostly positive, whatever. Life, life, life shit is a really way you can sum it up. <clears throat> but uh, Miss Ronson and like half hour before, I say, okay, well, if I was to put Ronson on, I'd put him on where Devin Clark is, I suppose. Like you've got mid-level faith in him. But he's coming off a two-year-long absence. Walter Wade's probably not his preferable class, but he has trouble making 55. He technically speaking is 0-4 in the UFC, three losses and a no contest. He's a little bit older. Like there's there's reasons why you probably don't like Jesse Ronson. But at the same time, like half of Garcia is moving up to 170 for the first time. I don't think he's looked particularly good in the UFC outside of his debut against Nazareth Hackcross. And just got a feeling that Jesse Ronson's a live underdog. So we back him as a live underdog on the preview show. Goes off as a slight favorite. Other people see it. You know, let's see what Ronson's got. <clears throat> the first round, he very much looked like a guy that had been off two years. He just looked a little bit stiff and just his timing wasn't there. So he's not moving his head at all. And whenever Rafa Garcia would explode and punch, he just wasn't quite reacting the same. Now, when you spar, especially when you're sparring at half speed, uh, you you, the, you see the punch, you see the setup. When you're in live action, this guy's trying to knock you out. He's trying to take your head off. It comes a lot faster. And of course, Ronson is a good striker, but two-year-long layoff, the ring rust, it seemed like the first two and a half minutes, he wasn't quite with it. So yeah, Garcia is outlanding him. Garcia is doing a good job. He's fishing for takedowns. He does get the takedown. Ronson immediately scrambles and gets back up to his feet, right? He scores a second takedown. Ronson immediately scrambles, gets back up to his feet. And now with like a minute, minute and a half left, Ronson's starting to find his groove. Again, he's knocking off ring rust in real time, but he's starting to find his groove a little bit. He's starting to at least land something, right? Garcia's doing an excellent job of still coming forward, but he's not landing quite as much. And the takedowns, although he scored two of them, have, have yielded him no top control out of it. So definitely wins the first round. But you can see Ronson starting to work his way back in. And listen, Garcia's got good cardio. But to me, it looked like near the tail end of the first round, like he was starting to get figured out. Like he was starting to slow down a little bit. So Ronson loses the first round. But I think he's live in the second round to come out here and put the pace on him. Goes over to his corner. Corner's thinking the exact same thing. Yo, he's tiring out. Start putting some pressure. Start putting some pace. Don't stand right in front of him. You know, get the thing done, right? So the third round, or the second round starts, and Garcia shoots the takedown immediately, gets the takedown. Ronson, as he's been doing the entire fight up until this point, just immediately gets back up. He shrimps out, he scrambles, he gets back up to the cage. And as he's getting back up, he eats an illegal knee. Now I got mixed emotions about this one. So on the outside looking in, it wasn't that bad of a knee because he just eats it and then literally gets up and circles away. Like he's fine, he's totally fine. And unlike Chris Barnett, who's now yelping in pain and lying on the floor, right? So you think one's way worse than the other. But that's not the case, man. He gets rocked by this knee, okay? As the doctor's talking to him, you can see he's not really quite with it. And now the fight resumes again. And all that momentum he's been building up, tail end of the first, work your way back into it. Second round, start out, get taken down, work your way back up. We're going to start putting the pace on him. He's starting to fatigue. All that's kind of nullified, and you likely could have a concussion. Now, I don't know for sure. I know Jesse Ronson might think, you know, the knee did a lot more damage or less damage. That's entirely up to him. But I think the knee rocked his shit. And he's such a veteran of the game that two things happen. He, that was his 33rd or 32nd professional fight, not including the numerous amateur fights the guys had. So he's such a savvy veteran that when he ate the knee, his initial response was defend myself instead of milk it out, right? Milking it out, I would have just hit the ground, got a point deduction, which he did get a point deduction. But 
you you he if he wanted a way out, he would have taken the way out. He's so savvy, he got up and he circled out. He made it look like it didn't hurt him as bad as it did. And then the other problem is he he's so savvy and veteran that when the doctor was like, You good to continue, he immediately just says yes. And then the fight resumes, and I don't know. And he gives up another takedown only this time. Because he's been taken down three times. Only this time he doesn't just get back up. He doesn't just shrimp out, scoot over to the to the cage and wall walk his way back up. He gets his back taken. And then he doesn't really fight the hands off that much. And then he gets rear naked choke. So the need to me changed everything, but I'm not sour grapes about it. He lost, he lost fair and square. I get it. And uh, things happened in MMA and it wasn't like it was, yeah, it was his fault, but it was fingertips. Like it's the moment heat of the moment shit happens. I totally get it. He fought a good game plan. I can't like discredit him, but to me, you know, it, it, it at least changed the, the outcome or the, the, the course of things. Maybe not the outcome. Maybe it didn't change the outcome. It changed the course of things, right? I don't know that he would have otherwise just gotten taken down and re-naked choke. He was getting back up. He could have done something with it. That was taken away from him. So hopefully the USC just books him back into another fight and they don't hold it against him too much. Drakkar Close versus Brandon Jenkins. Close is a top-ticket guy. Top, close is a top-ticket guy, but does everything in his power fight week to like get himself removed from that because he's just talking about this Jeremy Stevens whiplash thing, how it's like still messed him up, and how his doctors were talking surgery, and you know instead he just does a rehab program every day. It's like, dude, you're about to get into another fight. Guy shoved you, and it changed your life. You contemplated retirement. You're openly talking about how you're not 100. percent His words, not 100. percent Holy shit, man. Like, do I really want a top ticket? This guy? Yes. Yes, you do want a top ticket this guy because he's taking on Brandon Jenkins. Jenkins is the human highlight reel because he comes to fight, comes to entertain. And that's about it. And this one was entertaining, but not because anything he did other than his ability to take punches. Like, Jakar Close teed off on this guy. Jakar Close has traditionally been a decision fighter throughout the majority of his career. The Benil Darius fight through caution of the wind, landed some big shots, showed that there is some power there. And I guess the Jenkins fight, he decided to do the same thing. Like, he just went after him. And in the first round, he lands something like 20 unanswered shots, most of them clean right to the chin. Jenkins somehow standing up still. Somehow standing up because Dracar Close probably doesn't really have all that much power. But he's just landing so goddamn clean that you probably could have pillow hands. It's going to do something, right? So uh, he seemed to tire himself out. Like, and once Jenkins takes that last one, like, he seems throwing back. He's throwing knees. He's still trying to come forward. It looks like your card close takes off like the last minute of the second round. And then as Jenkins is coming forward, he just drops him again. Like that was going to be the difference maker. He, he could hit him clean whenever he wanted. And so going into the second round, it was the same thing. He just hits him clean. You know, could you make a, I don't know. He just took so much damage at that point that I think the referee was looking for a reason to stop it. And when Jacquard put another barrage on him, that was it. So very nice win for Jacquard close. I think his, his striking looked good. Again, his power was on display by way of, his striking accuracy, but it was also an absolutely tailor-made matchup for him. And if you're the kind of guy, let's see, the problem with the show is we do it on a Wednesday, so the lines are always ballooned up. By the time you tweet out plays, lines are always ballooned up. If you're someone that jumps on lines early, if you can find the value, I'd love to do early shows. It's just the way my schedule is. I got to reconfigure some things for sure. But the move is like car close open at like minus 225, like minus 250 right away, gets steamed up to minus 300, minus 400, minus 500, goes off at minus 600, come fight time. Still a lot of value. So he looked awesome. Punches chance for Jenkins, but uh, it, it didn't come through this time. Panny Kianzad versus Lena Landsberg. Uh, it went, ended up having a little bit of faith in Panny Kianzad by way of it's kind of like a passing of the torch fight. So she ends up on the 
second ticket along with Budai, right? So again, Paul Shaughnessy on the preview show, we talked about it. There was four fighters that he liked in particular, Penny Kianza being one of them. And I completely agree. To me, it's a passing of the torch type fight. You got Lena Landsberg, the old Swedish Muay Thai vet who transitioned to MMA and had very limited success in the UFC versus the new Swedish Muay Thai practitioner and Penny Kianza, who's fought at a higher level in the UFC. Uh, has given a better account of herself and is 10 years younger. So she's going to outwork her standing. She's going to outwork her in the clinch. And I really don't think wrestling is going to be a factor here. So we're pretty good. First round is exactly that. Penny Kianza wins very handedly, <clears throat> wins the striking exchanges at range, wins the clinch battle up against the cage, scores a takedown, briefly flirts with the idea of taking her back, does everything right. So, I mean, very nice performance from Penny in the first round. Need to take it going into the second. And the second's a little sloppier, a little bit more rugged, mostly spent inside the clinch. But Penny's winning the fight. Penny's winning the round. You know, decisively enough. I'm not particularly concerned about it. But this is why MMA, again, is a sick bitch. You need to win specific spots of rounds, not necessarily the whole round. And Penny, who's winning the first four minutes, four minutes and 20, 420, four minutes and 20, 30 seconds maybe of the of the round is all completely outdone by a pair of elbows. One inside the clinch. Bam, she eats it. Kind of just one of those, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Lena Landsberg throwing back. And then the second one, short little elbow, does drop her. Now it's a knockdown. It's a clean knockdown. But it's not one of these, you're knocked down, you fall to your back, and it's like, oh, you're discombobulated, you're a little bit woozy, you're a little bit dazed, uh, you don't get up right away, your opponent's able to jump on top of you. It's not one of these, you do the stanky leg, you hit, it's visible. It was like a flash knockdown. She got hit, she got dropped, she immediately jumps back up. Lena comes forward, she circles away. Lena throws a head kick. She gets her hand up to block it in time. She's still with it, and she's won four minutes of the round. So, like, is that enough for Lena Landsberg to win back the second round? Not my opinion, but, again, opinions differ. And checking out some stuff online, because I'm like, fuck me. I don't want to lose this, right? Uh, people, some people are scoring it for Lena Landsberg because of, of the knockdown. Hard to fault. Just depends what your brain considers proper judging. So in the third round, it's like, yeah, okay, we're going to need to take this to seal up the deal. And the third round, it's sloppy again. It's mostly spent in the clinch, but Penny just had more in the gas tank. She was a little bit fresher. She was a little bit faster. She was a little bit stronger. Landsberg didn't throw a whole lot. The few shots she did land apparently were good enough to persuade somebody to score the round for them, but there just wasn't enough out of her. So was it like a, a clean, nice, progressive win for uh, Penny Kianzad? Not really. I think she was expected to do most of this. She did it. Landsberg's 40. Landsberg hasn't fought in a while. Like, could you have made this a showcase fight and came out and took in that torch and been like, yeah, nah, it was a relatively competitive fight. It was a, I don't know. I just, Penny moves forward, right? Gets the win, but I don't think we saw anything new from her. And then flip side for Landsberg, like I think the promotion, this is the way the world works. The promotion likely releases her. Bellator likely signs her. She likely moves up to 145 pounds and she likely fights Cyborg for the title because <laughs> they got nobody and they're willing to do greasy shit like that. So keep your eye on her. She's probably got a fight or two left in her career, but uh, I don't know that she gets the win at a high level. The NBA playoffs means next level basketball. Get in on the first round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, each day of the first round, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DOP. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code DOP at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Devin Clark versus William Knight. This one being the freak show fight in the sense that both guys have the frames of middleweights. Both guys had probably their best success at 205. And yet both guys have just decided to take this fight as a heavyweight. Pretty impressive, really. Uh, Devin Clark needed to push the pace, push him up against the cage, just try to absolutely wear on him with the clinch game as much as possible. And then he'd be able to fatigue him and openings would happen. But of course, with Willie Knight, the dude's just so thick. Willie Knight at 205 had, you know, seven or eight minutes in him, maybe even two rounds. And being a two-round fighter is dangerous because if you just win the first two rounds and you can survive the third, you will get decisions. You will win fights. Uh, In this case, he's a one-round fighter now at heavyweight. In the first round, I can't say he particularly did a whole lot. It's that nothing really happened. I mean, you saw Devin Clark try to push him up against the cage and try to wear on him with the grappling, which was 100% what we thought would happen. And which is 100% the right game plan for Clark to do. He knew it. Everybody knew it. He attempts to do it. Only Thick Willie is still fresh at this point. He just grabs a standing guillotine choke. Standing guillotine choke is not tight in the sense that I'm not worried that Devin Clark is going to get submitted by it. But it's tight in the sense that he can't actually get out. All he can do is keep his arm extended so that he doesn't knee, eat, uh, eat a knee to the face. He could drop down to one knee, which would then allow him that he's not going to get kneed in the face illegally. But then once you drop down to a, a knee, you're about to get taken down, right? Because now I was going to fish with the bag. Now I was going to suck the hips off the cage. You don't want to do that. So the best thing you can do is ride it out. Now I'm sure everyone's seen it in high school a million times. A front front headlock, like a schoolyard headlock, and a standing guillotine choke. You can just hold the guy for so long. You can hold the guy for two, three minutes. Especially if you're strong, which Willie Knight is. So he held him, and then when he finally did release, he cracked Clark with a couple big shots. Clark has a tendency to like spin, give up his back, and run away. He does it. Does it all the time. He did it in this fight. Pretty funny enough. Ironic, not ironic, but yeah, funny enough. He spins his back, does his little classic move, but he does it to survive. You got to turn to run to get away, to reset, which is what he does. So he loses the first round, but at least he's still with it. In the second round, the game plan of just pressing him up against the cage and going back to work is winning, but also Willie's a lot slower and he's getting tired. He's getting a little more stiff and lethargic with his standing. So you do see Devin Clark outstrike him. He starts beating him to the punch. He is the taller man. He's the ranger guy. He's finding that range. And again, he's just fresher, trains at altitude, shows up to this fight in excellent physical shape. And when you think about a guy moving up to heavyweight and having to work you know, against a strong physical guy, how does their cardio check out? His cardio checked out. Excellent. Excellent. Maybe it was because Knight was so tired. But that aside, I think, I think Devin Clark just looked like he showed up in great shape, ready to go. Watching this fight live, at no point would you think it was a heavyweight fight. Like, I'm sure they were both standing as heavyweights in the ring, but it looked like it was still a 205 fight. And Devin Clark, I don't know where his longevity is beyond a fight like this at the division, but in this spot, he was built to shine over William Knight. In the third round, he just keeps putting that grind on him, but he opens up. He decides he finally wants to break him. Throws a beautiful combination. Hurts Willie. Stuns him, puts him down. The ref decides it's the time to intervene. So he makes the, the human judgment call on that one, stops it, and... And that, that's the fight. Devin Clark, good performance as far as I'm concerned. Willie Knight, huge setback. Huge setback because his last fight, short notice, but he misses weight by a, a large amount. And then decides, I'm just going to go up to heavyweight. And is non-competitive at heavyweight, he's going to end up being, just like Chris Barnett, 
He's just going to be giving away way too much size that even mediocre mid-level guys will just be able to beat him. And I don't think he's got the ability to go back to a five because it's just too big. He's too big. Did you see his body on the scales in comparison to like prior weigh-ins? This dude like had committed to that full move to heavyweight. There's no going back. No going back. And if he's going to be ineffective at heavyweight, eh, you got a problem on your hands. So anyways, match him up versus Chris Barnett. That's the logical next fight to do. But uh, that being said, maybe he just takes Chris Barnett down and beats him up. And it's not a fun fight. And I want to see Barnett fight up. Pure striker. Not a guy that likely looks to grapple a little bit. Manir Laziz versus Angelusa. So this was definitely a bad call on my part. Definitely the worst call. But but in my defense, it was the last play on the PRP. Like I, I openly was open about the least amount of confidence. Also, it's a super late addition. And I didn't really look into it. Like I did my pre-fight state, uh, fight tape. This fight got added. Angelusa just fought like two weeks prior. His grappling looked a lot improved. He's out of Sanford MMA. Striking is really not all that bad. You did see him on the Dana White's Contender Series against a legitimate guy in Jack Della. Yeah, there was reasons to just maybe take a flyer as an underdog. Not my style to just randomly take an underdog, but the price seemed right on it, and the price was not right. Price is not right, Bobby. Lazaz was just way too big, way too much pace, way too much volume. Won pretty much all the exchanges, kept him at bay, outworked him, didn't really have that many problems. Well, it was pretty clear for, for Munir Lazez. Yeah, I, I I would say that that was a, a pretty pretty clean victory all around. So where does he go from here? Definitely up. I mean, the one lost to Warley Alves, he just kind of got cut early, maybe got overwhelmed. I guess you could make an excuse for him in hindsight. Plus, it's a tough fight for a guy with only one fight in the UFC to be taking. You know, former Ultimate Fighter winner, BJJ Black Belt, winner of Colbert Covington, very experienced in division. Okay, you're going to give the guy a pass, right? He needed a big rebound, and this is not a big rebound in the sense that he got some highly real finish and put himself back on the map in a big way, but Angelusa is super durable. You saw that from the Jack Della fight. He's not just some joke opponent. So to get the ring time in, to win all three rounds, to win pretty well uh, very decisively, that's all good stuff. He's a little bit older, I think, at 34, but the skill's there. I think he's trained full-time in Las Vegas. He's clearly in shape, has great training partners. He'll make a little bit of a run, maybe hit up to that top 15 um, but I, I don't know that he really jumps way beyond that. And then for Andrelusa, you know, he did the favor to the UFC by stepping up on short notice after just fighting two weeks ago, three rounds against John Howard for XMMA. He wasn't in the best spot to probably win this fight in high insight. He was going to be ill-equipped, but he's also in his 30s. He only has like eight professional fights. Imagine having to fight five more fights to get into the UFC. It could take you two more years. They don't have that time. So when the call comes, and it might be a bad matchup, and it might be up a weight class, and you might be hurt, and you might be tired, and you might not want the fight, the contract's there. The UFC never calls you and says, we'll give you a one-fight deal. It's a four-fight deal. So take it, take it, and then the next fight, hopefully get a full camp and give a better account of yourself against maybe a better matchup. <clears throat> but this wasn't it, and I was way off on that one. So Munir Lazez uh, made it look easy. Pat Sabatini versus TJ Laramie. We're with Pat Sabatini. I think the vast majority of people are. He ends up going off as like a minus 550 favorite. I didn't have him all that high, though. I had him on the fourth uh, the fourth line with Clark, Devin Clark. I think I got scared from the price a little bit. I didn't think that he should have been a minus 500 favorite. But again, in the preview show, we talked about the fact that Laramie is not really a featherweight. He looks small out there. He looks small against Derek Manor. He ended up looking real small, I thought, against Pat Sabatini. And against a guy that's physical and a grappler with good cardio, the, the very clear path to victory is sitting right for you. 
was going to be past Abtini all day. So we were on the correct side of it. But Nimdet, he should have been a top ticket guy, right? It should have been probably him. Well, him close and Luke by way of we want to hedge out in the Luke bet. But you could have juiced up him close and Luke. We give you a nice plus money on your very first ticket. Now we're looking really good, right? Should have had more faith in him. Should have had more faith in uh, Haile Alatang as well. But I don't know. Sometimes you get like a slight bad gut feeling. Something just causes you to not quite have it as high. And yeah, Pat Sabatini. Part of the reason as well is the strike is not all that good. So I thought if the fight didn't hit the ground, TJ Laramie, well, at least there was a chance that he'd be able to significantly outstrike him. It just wasn't meant to be. Like in the first round, Pat Sabatini, when he would want the fight to the ground, he'd find a way, catch a kick, lift up, the, hoist him up on a single leg, dump him to the ground. I thought TJ Laramie did an excellent job of controlling. TJ Laramie ended up on top as well in that first round. And to be honest, the first round to me is going Laramie's way. Like early, he is landing the better strikes, although it's close, it's competitive. He is slightly outstriking him. He does land the takedown. Doesn't do a whole lot with the takedown, but racks up a little bit of control time. Lands a couple short shots. He's winning the first round. And then, of course, uh, the tables start to turn. He gets back up. He gets himself taken down. He ends up in a couple bad spots. Uh, the submission attempts. It just, it just, the tables turn late in that round, and so he loses the first. Second round, he gets up his back right away. Not, not a good spot for him. He gets controlled. He gets dominated. I didn't think it was a ten-eight round on a personal level. I thought it was a ten-nine round. Uh, yes, there was control. Yes, there was like he was on him for four minutes. But I want to see some like heavy ground and pound. I want to see some like near submission attempts. I don't want to see just control because here's the problem with a back take and these flexible guys with good jiu-jitsu is that once they take your back, they immediately put in the body triangle. Once the body triangle's on you, you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. If Neil Magny puts a body triangle on you, see the best grappler in the division? No. See a beatable guy? Yeah. If he puts a body triangle on you, you're not going anywhere. If Aljo puts a body triangle on you, that's it. Doesn't matter how good Yan is at jiu-jitsu. Doesn't matter how long he trains. They put the body triangle on you. That's it. And guys like Ryan Hall will use it to great success because they just need to take your back once, put the hooks in, switch to the body triangle, and then ride it out. If you want to entertain the fans, that's up to you. But you, you don't owe anybody anything. And here's why the body triangle is just so much better than holding a guy down a guard. If you hold a guy down a guard, the referee will stand you up for inactivity. The back. They'll never stand you up. You got a fucking back take. Nobody's no no referee has ever been like, okay, dude, nothing's going on. Stand up because it's the back take. So it's such an effective way to win. It's such an effective way to bank rounds. And Pat Sabatini knew it, and he could just ride out this round. But but that's still a 10-9 round to me. It's not a 10-8, even though it is pure control. And it wasn't like he did absolutely nothing with it. He was landing a bunch of strikes. He was punching Laramie, a couple real good solid shots for sure. For sure. Just for my liking, not quite enough. But that's not the world, the way the world works. You've seen in the Sterling Yawn fight as well. <clears throat> There's a debate for a 10-8 round. It's certainly on the table. This one, it's certainly on the table. A lot of people scored it. Judges scored it. A lot of people online also scored it. I understand it. I'm not going to debate it. I'm just saying, like, if I was a judge, I, I think I would have gone 10-9 in that one. And then in the third round, uh, Laramie hurt to the body. Like he, the longer the fight went, he's still young. He still needs to go through these tough fights and learn a lot. And I think the UFC would have done a much better job of giving him a couple softer matchups because he is a good prospect. He's a young guy, but he's I think he's a little hard on himself. He's like a little bit confidence driven. And when he's winning fights on the regional scene, he's very confident. He goes out, he delivers, you train hard. 
you, you feel good. And I'm not saying you got to let the kid feel good about himself, but like, he's so young still, he makes the UFC. You give him Derek Maynard and gets caught in a, in a guillotine choke. Bad. Got to go back to the drawing board. Now you spend months on the sidelines training. You come back to the UFC and they give you Pat Sabatini. Oh my God. Sabatini's a killer. That's why he comes in as a minus 550 favorite. And the price, the price was right. Yeah, he, he looked easily a minus 550 favorite. He controlled for the most part. And for TJ, you know, keep your head up. You could tell he was very visibly disappointed in the 3026 uh, because it was probably a closer fight than 3026 would suggest. He showed some heart. He overcame getting dropped by the body shot. He overcame a couple bad spots, a couple bad submission attempts. He had a talented grappler like Sabatini on his back for all of four minutes in the second round, getting punched in the head. He kept with it. It's just this is a full-grown man, and that was what we mentioned on the preview show is when you looked at Derek Minner next to TJ Laramie, it, he was way thicker. He had way more muscle on him. He was he was a full-grown man, and he just went out there, snapped the neck, caught him in a guillotine choke. Easy money. When you saw him next to Sabatini, it was very much much of the same. It looked like a bantamweight fighting a featherweight, and in that regard, fought valiantly. Fought valiantly as an undersized guy. The problem is, is that I don't know that he can make 135 pounds. It looks like he can. But only he knows that. I don't think he can. I think he's been a little bit vocal about that in the past. 35, you're miserable. It's a bad cut. You train. Then you go out there. Chin might be a little bit compromised. And he's just not looking to do it. But standing five foot five, he's the shortest guy in the division. He's going to be giving up size and strength to all the guys. And his technique is excellent. But it's going to be need to be perfect to overcome strength and size, right? Against these better grapplers. That ended up being the case. But for the record, TJ Laramie trains with a couple of um, Dante Leon, like a couple of the best grapplers in Canada, guys that are going to the ADCC, some of the best grapplers in the world, let alone Canada. He was definitely prepared for a grappling match. Still just couldn't do anything about it because, again, size, experience, all these things play a factor. So Pat Sabatini rolls should have had more faith. Could have shit about him. Marriott Bueno Silva. No bueno. No bueno taking on Yan Wu. And again, Paul and I talked about this where why why would you want a whole lot of faith in a, a women's MMA matchup? We had to go with Kanzad on the on the second ticket. We ended up going with Silva on the third ticket. It was one of those cards that was a little bit greasy. You, you, you need to take a couple shots here and there. Maybe the price wasn't the best. And in this case, it was another minus 500. So on paper, your top ticket would consist of uh, you would have gone with Silva, you would have gone with Sabatini, you'd have gone with your car close, but now you got a minus 500, a minus 500, and a minus 600, all parlayed together, you're not getting your even money, and you got three people on your top ticket, and who's who's going to shit in the apple pie? But by the odds, they were 100% right. Like, those were the easy fights, to be quite honest. I think all those three fighters rolled, and Silva was much of the same. I mean, striking in the first round, she just backs her up. She's stronger. She's bigger. She's faster. She's got better technique. Where is she going to lose this fight? She was backing up Wu. She ends up landing up a nice combination. Hurts Wu. I don't, I would score a knockdown. I would 100% score a knockdown, but it didn't look visually like a clean knockdown because she hits her, which stuns her, steps in and put a little bit of pressure, and Wu just kind of falls to the mat. But again, I mean, this is the deciding moment of the round. She had backed her up. She had outstruck her pretty easy. Second round is a little more grappling heavy. Like Wu probably realizes her and her coaching staff we got to get this thing to the ground. We at least got to force a little bit of grappling and see if we can tire her out. The problem is, is that you're fighting someone who's again, bigger, faster, stronger, but a much better grappler and much more seasoned. So she catches it. She catches a kick. She does get the fight to the ground and immediately she's up in a triangle and the triangle looked good. 
But to Wu's credit, she stacks her and pops the neck. You can see her free her head momentarily, where it's going to alleviate the choke, and then just pops her head free. So gets out of a triangle choke, pretty decent. Settles back into her, right into a Kimura. <laughs> like there's levels, and this is a ma- This is a mismatch. So if the fight stays standing, it's 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 one way traffic. If the fight hits the ground, it's it's much of the same. So doesn't get the Kimura, although she had a real deep uh, deep bite on it, but ends up just getting back up in the third round. Backs her up, puts beating on her again. Pretty clear as far as I was concerned. Uh, I think it was a mismatch on paper. It ended up playing it closer to a mismatch. With Yunnan Wu, I know the UFC wants to try to... They weren't trying to hype her. They were feeding her to the Wolves. So they knew that they are likely going to release her from the roster. That's what they'll do. But uh, could she go back to the Chinese regional scene, rack up a couple more, and end up on a card in Southeast Asia at some point? Absolutely. Is she talented enough to fight at a certain level? Yeah, yeah. She'll have some fun fights. But this is a complete mismatch. And for Silva... Silva looked real good in this fight because of the fact that it was a mismatch. So if they give you a much tougher fight the next time out, if the line's not quite uh, right the next time out, a little bit of hesitancy gets you look really good here, but I think most people would have as well. And this kind of fight is going to cause her to be a little bit inflated the next time around. Pending matchup, I guess we'll see. Andre Fialo versus Miguel Beza. We go with Andre Fialo. Didn't have him super high up on the parlay tickets. Uh, because he's an underdog, and I get it. It's going to be a war, and they're going to slug it. I'm just hoping he clips the guy with the shittier chin. Uh, you know, like, how could you be super confident in that for parlay purposes? But, yeah, he's our favorite underdog on the card. We don't got an underdog at this point. We'd like to cash one. I don't want to be one of those guys that just, you know, oh, just take all the favorites. You can't be wrong. Like, no, 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 no. Dogs are going to come through. We try to sniff them, and we either try to sniff them out that we'll take a shot, or we try to sniff them out that we'll put them lower on the ticket. But that's what it's all about is figuring out who's going to be the, the most likely to screw things up for you. With Miguel Beza, he seems pretty talented, but yeah, he's one of those guys that likely might screw it up for you. On the basis of how does he win this fight? How does he win most fights, right? So he can grapple, but he's not elite. He can wrestle. Well, he can't really wrestle, and he's certainly not elite. And his striking is good, but it's not elite, right? So he's not particularly super good in one area, but his striking would be his best craft, right? He's fast. He's a little bit dynamic. He's a really sharp snappy right hand good power in it decent timing in and out movement good good footwork but he's a little bit fragile like his cardio might not quite be there and beyond his cardio not being there his chin's not quite there there's another uh, thing that happens a lot of time people will say this guy gassed out this guy gassed out this guy's not gassed out this guy's concussed this guy's hurt this guy got hit with something whether you saw it on tv because it was a big right hand that hurt him or it was something short in the clinch or a headbutt that you missed uh, the Trey Ogden versus Levitt fight, you know, there's there's a headbutt. It's these little shoot exchanges where you might eat something. You eat something, it changes everything. Change the knee that hit Jesse Ronson didn't look huge. Wasn't like a, a straight up soccer kick to the head or anything, but they cause a lot of damage. In this case, Beza takes that little bit of damage, and then all of a sudden he's on skates. When he's on skates, he's tired, he's prone, and it's a problem. This fight went down like a lot of his other fights have. He came out early. He was definitely beating Fialo to the punch. He was longer. He was ranger. That right hand, not only is it fast and he's got good timing on it, but he throws it like very long, right? Beating him to the punch, backing him up. But the reason why we end up taking the dog shot on Fialo is I wasn't super high on him in the past. And his last fight, man, he showed up with Michelle Pereira as a huge underdog. I got tons of investment here on Michelle Pereira. The guy fought hard. Durability looked vastly improved. His heart, it was there. His willingness to take a shot, to stand in the pocket and throw one back was there. And his striking, one half bad to boot. 
that's the kind of style that's going to yield a lot of success against Beza. You just got to last through that early flurry and then give it back. And then here's another thing about Miguel Beza. Uh, you're starting to get more experience in the UFC. You're starting to accrue more experience. So you need to learn and you need to make adjustments. And it just you got to get more seasoned as a veteran. You can't just be keeping making rookie moves. This is a rookie move situation where he's beating Fialo fairly comfortably standing. He's faster. He's rangier. If he just fucking stays to the outside and plays the range game, he's going to have some success. His leg kicks are on point. The right hand's on point. The jab's there. He's moving excellent. No, no, no. I'm going to brawl with this guy. Yeah, I'm going to stand in there. I'm going to bum rush him. And I'm going to brawl with him. Why? Why not? Everyone's saying I'm a little bit chinny, which is probably true. Everyone's saying I'm not good in these brawl type situations, which is pretty true. And I have an avenue to victory that I could just take right now, staying on the outside, but I'm going to brawl with him. And he goes in and he throws a 10 punch combination. 10 punches. And even Dominic Cruz is like, it was a 10 to 2 because uh, Fialo tried to counter with two punches of his own. Both missed. But he tries to counter back. He threw 10 punch combination. It's early first round so now all of his eggs see them all it's easter by the way happy easter all of your easter egg yeah all in one basket because if you're not going to put them now away in the first round it's not a feasible game plan going forward and what i loved about it because again it went down the way we kind of thought most things don't go down the way you think is that fialo took the 10 punches it was just like okay i just took what you got I'm going to give you back some. I'm going to give you back some of that medicine. Let's see if you like this medicine. It just conks him a few times. Basically gets wobbly. Once you're wobbly, your hands are low, your timing's off, you don't even know where you're at, you're prone to big shots, and Fialo just hits him up with the follow-up shots to put him away. Uh, early stoppage in the sense that, like, he's still with it, and, he, you know, he's he's arguing with the ref. But, like, he's, he's hurt. And for the record, Fialo wouldn't go nowhere either. So... Good times to be had there. Unfortunately, the parlay tickets that would have really benefited from having them on them because of the big plus money price tag, they were burnt up. Um, but yeah, yeah, good to be on the right side of something and not have Beza. Yeah, why? Beza is the kind of guy at minus 185 that you might have had a little more faith in. You can't have faith on a guy that doesn't have the durability. He can't do it. Because even in his next matchup, they'll give him someone that's not that good or he's coming up the contender series or he's making his UFC debut against Beza, who's at least had five, six fights. That, that's not the concern. The concern is virtually against anybody who knows how to throw punches could clip. And whereas his style of just bum-rushing you and putting you away could work on some people. Yeah, it absolutely could. This is the UFC. And I know there's a lot of bad guys in the UFC, but it's still the elite promotion in the world. The best guys in the world do, in fact, fight for the UFC. Are there very talented guys in Bellator and other promotions? Absolutely, absolutely. The best guys fight in the UFC, right? So these game plans not going to always work. And... He should have figured that out by now because he's supposed to get experience the longer his career progresses. So, he, you know, novice moves, still a novice moves costume. Kyle Barlow versus Godzi Omar Godziev. Uh, this is another one I was kicking my head, my uh, myself in the head with. I got two dogs I like on this card. I like Fialo. I like Bar- Barlo. And I really like Barlo. The thing is, it's not parlay material because it's a 50-50 fight, perhaps, and this Omar Gaziev guy is undefeated, and he's Russian, and we get it. I love Russians. Who loves Russians more than me and Paul? Who doesn't love undefeated Russians? Who doesn't love everything about this guy? 
I don't. I really like Baralo. You know, this is my guy. The fighting nerd does everything well. Ring IQ off the charts. It's just it was a 50-50 fight. And usually the way that the parlays end up working is that the dog shots you do like end up lower down. That would have been an awesome ticket on its own. It's it's the bottom ticket right before the PRP. Baralo Filo. Your two best underdogs, parlay them up together. Would have paid good. But again, that's all hindsight shit. Can't think about life that way, right? So Baralo early, just he's he's a smart guy he's not going to be the biggest entertainer he's not going to wow you with some flashy technique or getting some big finish but he just fights very smart in the sense that he paces himself he looks for the opportunities he's very elusive he's not getting hit a whole lot and he makes proper choices so his opponents just can't really catch him i mean he's one of these stoic uh tough russian guys that's going to just throw clobbering hands punching wasn't crisp boxing wasn't all that good Footwork wasn't all that good. Kicks, uh, didn't see any, right? But to my knowledge, not, really not all that good. He was just going to bum rush to try to get into a clinch to try to rip him to the ground. That was going to be the game plan. And uh, with Russian fighters, we love the fights hitting the ground. So inter- interesting to see how good this guy is when the fight does hit the ground. And so he catches a Baralo kick. That's what he's able to convert into a quick little trip takedown. End up on top. And Khabib Nurmagomedov, the guy gets on top of you. Oh, God, world of shit. Hamza Shemaev, you know, people are a little bit down on him, but the guy takes you down and gets on top of you. <laughs> in a world of shit. Islam Makachev. Guy gets on top of you. You're in a world of shit. That wasn't the case here. I mean, Godzi Omar Godziev gets him down, and then almost right away, Kyle Barlow just uh, sweeps him. He's a black belt. The guy's obviously very talented. Again, he makes very good choices in there. He timed the move out properly, very good. And as soon as he takes him, it's all him. Yo grabs him, takes his back. Back take is where the money's at. Second round, it's much of the same. I outstrike him if I need to. The fight hits the ground, but by the way, he takes him down. He beats him up. He gets to the back take. The third round, it's, it's much of the same. It's all the same stuff. And then you get yourself uh, an illegal foul. You get yourself an illegal foul on a legal knee. The frustrating part about it was in the second round, he goes to throw the illegal knee. He's got gods you have just done in the second. He goes to throw the, the, the knee and he pulls himself back because it's like, my boy, the fighting nerd, he's so damn smart. Unlike all these other dummies on this card that are getting themselves point deducted, making bad choices, my guy at least makes proper decisions in there. So it was real frustrating <clears throat> in the third round. When uh, he went out there and did the damn thing, smacked him one. So I think it comes down to heat of the moment. Like you might think his fingers are off the cage or off the ground. You might think the knees down. You might not be a hundred percent can you know understanding of the rules. I don't know how they don't understand the rules, but in training you don't throw that technique ever because why would you knee your opponent or your uh, training partner in the head? So it's a position that doesn't really get practiced. You might end up in it. You might fake the knee. You might do all that, but you're not doing it in live time. So I, I don't know. He just made a, a bit of a mistake. Like he, he thought the hand was up. It clearly wasn't. And he blasted him in the face. And that leads you to a technical decision. So the rightful guy won as far as I'm concerned. He won all three rounds. It was very much like Budai. He won all three rounds. Things were going very nice. And then he just almost blows it for himself late, which is frustrating because we, our reads were there. We're on the right guy. They did the things that we believe that they were capable of doing. Things are going well, and they can still cost you. And, you know, you go back to a, a, a Peter Yon disqualification, or you go back to a Michelle Prayer versus Diego Sanchez disqualification, where it's like you're, you're winning. You're going to win if you just keep doing what you're doing. 
and you make a bad decision, you get yourself disqualified. So because it's his debut, you'd expect him to learn, hopefully, and improve. A guy like Budai, it's his UFC debut, bright lights. You know, you want, you want to learn and hopefully not make those mistakes. But it's one of those things in MMA when Paul and I talk about banana peel pricing, right? Well, the guy's a minus 10,000 favorite. There's zero chance he loses. He's got everything going for him. Cast iron chin. It's Alexander Volkanovsky versus... The worst guy, Christos, G- uh, not Christos, G- yeah, it will even him, it would be a murder, right? If it was Alexander Volkanovsky versus Anthony Christodoulou, this is who I was thinking of. <laughs> is there something that they offer higher than minus 10,000? Because that's what he would be, right? He's going to kill the guy. But what's banana peel pricing? I'll tell you what banana peel pricing is. What if Alexander Volkanovsky came out, beating the shit out of this guy, goes to kick him, kicks him in the knee by accident instead of the calf, and shatters his leg like Anderson Silva? unforeseen circumstance possible not likely but possible right and a minus ten thousand would you bet ten thousand dollars on to bet on make a hundred would you parlay this guy and bet big parlays with a minus ten thousand like well what's worst case scenario what if the guy just breaks his leg what if the motherfucker guy gets himself disqualified in a fight that he's otherwise dominating <laughs> happens all the time thankfully there was no disqualifications going against us here Blah Muhammad versus Vincente Luque. So at this point, you could let it ride if you were in a financially stable position, if you made money on Bellator. If I had just crushed on Bellator, AJ McKee wins his decision, which I thought he should have, but again, you can't be sour in this game. I, pr- I probably let this thing ride on the basis of I had a good weekend. The money's been there, right? If you, situation you're in, you're in. But we got Budai winning, Kanzad winning, Close winning, Silva winning, Alatang winning, Sabatini winning, Clark winning. The upper portion of our of our tickets, they're all set up. You know, probably good time to take this this hedge out opportunity. Do we think Luke is going to win? Yeah, absolutely. But because we haven't seen him fight five rounds before, that certainly to me is a bit of a concern because Blah Muhammad has excellent pace. And then again, and it's something we discussed in the preview show, I never thought Blah had some like world class wrestling skill set until you see him against Wonder Boy. And I know Wonder Boy doesn't have particularly good takedown defense, but he smothers him and he dominates him and it's like. His, he was chain wrestling. You know, he goes to the, the low ankle pick. He goes to the single leg. He switches off. Like, he has obviously worked a lot on it. He's very durable. He has good cardio. Guys like that are going to be problems. If you're, if you're durable and you have cardio and you have a wrestling edge, you are always going to be a problem. But it is a rematch, and he did get knocked out the last time. And who doesn't like Vincente Luque? But Bilal Muhammad fought excellent. You know, first round, he's backpedaling. Vincente's coming forward, but his striking's good, man. He's act- his timing's actually really good because he would wait for Vincente to corner him up, corner him up, corner him up, and then as Vincente would just about to be ready to set his feet and throw something, he would catch him with a jab. He would catch him with a right hand. He backpedal out again. He's landing good kicks. He gets a takedown. He wins the first round. Second round, pretty much much of the same. Striking looks pretty all right. Is he going to win a straight-up striking battle against Vincente Luque for 25 minutes? No, no. But his ability to mix in the takedown is the difference maker. So he scores a takedown. It's a Blah Muhammad round. A better round for Luke K, perhaps, but another Blah Muhammad round. In the third round, now you're finding Luke K is starting to stuff the takedowns a little bit. He's starting to work a little bit. And he's starting to throw a little bit. He's landing the better shots. He's starting to find his range. He's starting to find his confidence. And it, to me, it looks like Bilal, uh, either he's getting frustrated or he's maybe starting to slow down a little bit because Luke is working his way back into it. Bilal hits the takedown which he has in the first two rounds at this point. But only this time, you see Luke uh, just scramble back up and get back to his feet. And to me, that was a real difference. Because in the first two rounds, he couldn't get back up to his feet. Third round, he shows an ability to do it right away. As soon as he gets back up, he gets to striking him. He's pressuring him. He throws the flying knee to end the, the third. It's a third round for Vincente Luque. 
It's a 2-1. He certainly needs this fourth round. The fourth round I scored for Bilal Muhammad. Again, it was close. You know, it was it was a decent round for Vincente Luque. It was just the the spots. Like, he starts off well. He's out striking Bilal Muhammad. He stuffs a takedown or two, but then Bilal eventually peels him to the ground. And once he peels him to the ground, he's riding up some top control, getting some ring time in. Vincente Luque is able to scramble and get back up. Here was the difference maker. He gets up and there's 90 seconds left on the clock, right? And it's around that he was winning the striking early. He got taken down. Not much happened with the takedowns. You could win this round back. You just got to put it on him for this last 90 seconds, maybe last minute. Judges tend to remember the later stages of the round. Start putting it on the guy. He, he didn't he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He's walking him back, right? But he wasn't throwing punches. And Bilal, who fights, just fought an excellent game plan here, is backpedaling, and then he's punching him. He's hitting him with the jab. Jab landed clean. The right hand landed clean. I looked online real quick to see what the consensus online was. And it seemed like people were generally pissed off by the fact that <clears throat> Bilal Muhammad was running away and that Bilal Muhammad was just taking him down, trying to hold him down. But those are the, the those are the team let it ride guys. Those are the guys that didn't hedge out. They just decided Vincente Luque is a two-to-one favorite probably was his fight and let it ride. In fact, actually coming into the fourth round and it was 2-1 Bilal Muhammad, they showed the live uh, odds on the screen and it's still minus 185. That was the opener or that's what it was coming into the fight. It was minus 185 Luque. <laughs> he's, he's down two rounds. Didn't win the third. I'll give him that. And it's still at minus 185. Pretty incredible. Well, Bilal landed the better strikes in the fourth round, and he got the takedown. So it's a Bilal Muhammad round in my books, but is at least a case that a couple judges out there may have seen it for Luke. And if that's the case, it's a 2-2. Everything to fight for in the fifth. And Bilal Muhammad just does what he'd been doing the entire fight. He did an excellent job of evading the damage, staying out of the way, moving, and then, of course, getting the takedown. <clears throat> and I want to I wanna almost say, oh, Luke did to himself because he wasn't throwing much and he wasn't kicking. The kicks were there and he had some early success with them. And then he almost abandons the game plan late. But this is why you can't fault him. And it's not his fault whatsoever. It's that the entire time he's fighting Bilal, Bilal was on his back foot. So he needs to advance with forward pressure. Now, as he advances with forward pressure, Blom is still on his back foot. So he's continuously playing this game of trying to cut off the angle and line him up into the proper spot that he's going to be able to throw his punches. He's going to be able to throw a kick. That he's going to be able to get that strike off. And all Bilal's waiting for, right? He's dancing around and just jabbing you, which is scoring points. He's landing right hands. It's all scoring points. Touch and go, touch and go. And then eventually, when you circle into that one spot and you throw your strikes, is when he's shooting the takedown. It's when he's timing you for a takedown. It's when he's throwing you off guard. So in Vincente's mind, if he goes out there and just, I need to win the last 90 seconds, go buck wild. He's just going to get taken down again. So he's trying to be super patient and find the exact perfect time. And you're just killing time off the clock and around that you're otherwise already losing. The fight was pretty well rinse and repeat. I scored at 49-46 for Blah Muhammad. I think one of the judges had it like 49-47. I applaud that guy. Did he have a 10-10 round? Because, yeah, that makes sense. There were some rounds in here that were close. I was able to catch it with my dad, the main event anyways. And uh, yeah, yeah, he was almost thinking Vincente Luque was winning because his he's old school. He's more of the mindset of who's winning the actual fight more than like how is this perhaps getting scored. But even he knew at the end of the fight that it was just like, yeah, yeah, the other guy just got outworked, you know, and that was clearly the case. So with Vincente, he is elite, but this does appear to be the flaw in his game. And it be, appears to be a flaw in his game that perhaps he's not able to overcome. I don't know that he significantly gets that much better in takedown defense. I don't know that he gets that much significantly better when he's off his back, even he loves those jar strokes and those front headlocks. He had a, a nasty situation in the fifth where he could have snapped it up and could have grabbed a hold of it. 
maybe a guillotine, maybe transition over. But Bilal fought through everything. Vincente just didn't quite have it. He'll always have a puncher's chance. He'll always be entertaining. But I don't know that he breaks into title contention. Like, he's in title contention now, maybe not after this loss. But what I mean is, he's not going to fight for the belt. I don't know that he gets into that top three, unless there's just no contenders. Guys like Michael Chiesa, who I know he defeated. Guys like, nah, that, maybe that's just a bad example. Guys will eventually wear on him. Talented guys. And Bilal Muhammad proved to be an elite-level guy. Who will fight for the belt? His style that he's fighting now is the winning formula. He can fight for five rounds. He's got good grappling. He's got good wrestling. He's got striking is clearly improving. And he fights a very smart game plan. And those smart game plans will defeat guys that fight more so based on heart and passion, like Vincente Luque. So people kind of shitting on Bilal Muhammad. Uh I, I wouldn't. I thought I thought he did the real the right proper move. Maybe I'm maybe I'm giving him more credit because I had I had hedged it out as I'm watching it live. It's like, yeah, this guy's fighting pretty decent right now. But going forward in the future like if they were to rebook him versus leon edwards let's say the last time they booked it i was all over leon edwards how could you not and the way the first round goes leon edwards beats him up but now my brain's got me thinking in a five-round fight like Bilal's not going anywhere you're probably not going to knock this man out i know vincente did it one time but he's the only guy and you see how times have changed since then this guy's going to be continuously coming forward he's going to be continuously grinding on you you got tired fighting nate diaz Fuck you gonna do fighting Bilal Muhammad, man. He's not going anywhere. And his skills have vastly improved. He always had that grind. He always had that grit. Former Titan FC champ. Decision machine. Maybe Pat's why he's got a bad rap, right? Just maybe not the most entertaining guy. But smart, smart. And now he's got the skill set to put that ring IQ to effectiveness. And I know he kind of stunk out the main event for a lot of people, but I can't discredit him for that whatsoever. So, anyways, that's where we're at. Uh, I know on the outside looking in, it looks like we had another top ticket lose, and this is two weeks in a row, and we're down on our luck, and Bellator as well, and holy fuck, you guys getting killed. But for a card that I went eight and five, and I felt pretty good about it. Like the bottom end of things, yeah, they didn't go. A couple bounces here and there, yeah, maybe could have gone. But I'm happy we got the dog hit in Fialo. I'm happy Baralo stepped up the way we thought he would. Alatang, you know, should have been way bigger on him. You know, the two women's MMA fights surprisingly went our way, which was never... Sorry, sorry. <laughs> There's three women's MMA fights. One of them did. And the one that did, I did a good job putting a little bit lower. Still picked her. But I'm not too down on myself on this card. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, we just got to get back to hitting the big long ones and the tweeting. I got a live tweet out. That's the prompt. Part of the style is the smart people that follow the show and follow the picks and all that i think they would have known to hedge certainly if they needed the money they would have hedged they're responsible enough to do that i think i don't know but uh, it's good when you tweet it out and you let people know and you you tweet fights i know people love that stuff but you know there's also like life life gets in the way and i got huge news and huge announcements and all that stuff but you know win quietly on the side further your life and then and then do your announcements don't just talk shit i'm gonna do something fucking do it first right so anyways we'll get back to a regular routine as quick as we can in the meantime paul and i got another preview show coming up wednesday and uh yeah hopefully in the meantime i can study up enjoy your easter or easter if you got family dinner and you had something to do today or whatever the case may be and you still somehow fit while we've been talking an hour and 10 minutes of that of your day into watching the show you're the real one. Thanks for supporting me. I always appreciate this. If you watch it in a couple days from now, you're still a real one. Thanks for supporting me. And uh, if you haven't watched this show or you don't watch the show, then what's the matter? You're not watching this right now anyways. So anyways, enjoy your day. Take care. And hopefully we can uh, 
All right, crush some easy money picks next time around. Take care, you guys. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.